of you, which means absolutely nobody should be looking at anybody in the eye, just in the back of the head. Look at that person in front of you. What is something that is different? What is something that's different about them and you? If you're looking at the person in front of you with your limited view of their life from behind, what is something between, that is different between you and them? It's going to be pretty superficial. Hair color? Glasses, age? Marital status? Gender? We could spend all day highlighting differences, but there's also things that we have in common, and a couple of those commonalities are this. While we aren't all parents in this room, we all have been children, or are children. So that's one similarity. And the second thing is, is that we all have the power of choice. And we start to, as children, start to use that power of choice. And we begin a whole lifelong process of discipleship into our earthly families, of what's appropriate, what's not, and life into the heavenly family as we choose to follow him. In grade six, those two things, the fact about being a child and the ability to start using my choices, came, into, came to result in a very unique moment. It was during one of the winters in the mid-1980s. Love the 80s. I dreamt about which big hair song I would start singing just to show that I still remember it, but I decided to leave you that for another day. But I was definitely a child somewhere around 10 or whatever, and I was home one day and apparently was making a choice that did not particularly please my mother. And there's a good chance that that choice had something to do with me and my sister. I think we each both have scars to prove that we did not always get along as children. Anyways, I was making one of those choices that was getting myself in trouble. And while my mother was standing in front of the bathroom sink and I was in the doorway, continuing to push the issue, she went, and it was the first time I ever remember her doing it, and it was definitely the last time I remember her doing it, she went to give me a kick in the butt. And because I was only a kid, I had great reflexes, and I managed to jump out of the way of her foot, and my friend the door jam jumped in the way where I was. And my mom kicked the door jam instead of my butt. And you mothers are all got grimaces on your faces because you know how good a door jam would feel on your toe. And at that moment, or within moments, I knew something far worse than getting kicked in the butt had happened. <laughs> My mom broke her toe. And so the thing about a broken toe is that instead of it just being a kick in the butt for the moment and it being dealt with, my mom being a registered nurse and working in a hospital on her feet all day, got to remember that moment step after step after step. And I, I was with her in a way at work for the next number of weeks that I did not intend to be. <laughs> and um, my choice to disobey my mom in that moment led to something I did not actually, believe it or not, experience a lot in my life. I was grounded at that time. And what I was grounded from was my next hockey practice. The, my friends got, when I went to school and said I couldn't be at hockey practice, they all laughed at me and thought I was stupid and did something that caused my mom to uh, kick me in the butt. But I was not making a choice that lined up with the way my parents wanted to live, and I now had to live out the consequence. Now, the danger of me telling you this personal story is that you could actually think this is about the mother 
in this and relate it to God and that I did something bad so my mother went to kick me and when you do something bad, God goes to kick you. I would want you to know that that is absolutely the opposite of what we're going to try to get at today. We're going in a different direction. What I do want to get to you through about is that because my mom loved me and was parenting the best she knew how, when I made a choice that did not line up with what was right, I began to live out a consequence. That's that my choice led to a direct consequence. The statement I would like you to remember today outside of the scripture of Psalm 1 is this. It is not a coincidence that the life we live is a consequence of the choice we make. The life we live is not a coincidence. It is not a coincidence that the life we live is a consequence of the choice we make. Now I want... to make sure that you don't think about that in regards to just all the choices you've ever made in your life or that you had a you were born into a situation that was far outside your control and there's consequences that are a part of that um, I'm not saying that just because of your choices you have pain in your life and if you didn't make some bad choices you'd have just a smooth pathway that's all the opposite of what I'm trying to say we live in a broken fallen world and we we have choices that we need to make in this world. But for the choices we are responsible for, it's no coincidence that those consequences start to come to light. I'm trying to get to the point today that we have intentional choices as followers of God and that we have power to execute our choices and to put our choices into action. And it's one of the blessings of the way God created us. He created us with free will so we could actually choose which way we would go, that we were not automatically programmed and we're not robots that are just always supposed to be, uh, that we always just automatically do the right thing because we have no choice in it. Joshua himself said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. And it's from that basic choice that I want to move from in a couple directions today. But why are we using Psalm 1? to talk about choice. Why does this even matter? Why are you going to listen to another sermon of the thousands or at least hundreds you're probably going to listen to in your life? Why does it matter today? The issue of choice is very important in our lives, particularly in this culture where we live a lot about uh, human rights, where I'm all for appropriate human rights, and there's a lot about victims and crime and all sorts of things and I'm all for justice and that uh, proper consequences handle in those situations but the the reality is we live in a life where we're not really wanting to take ownership or responsibility for the choices that we make and we feel we can do a bunch of different things and just put the blame on other people if you don't realize that your choice matters and you have a choice you will end up taking a fatalistic approach to your life and even to your faith that says it doesn't matter what you choose to do because it's all laid out what's going to happen anyways. You have no power to affect the change in your life. If you don't understand that you following God and your day-to-day choices as well as your eternal choices are within your power to respond to God, you will live like it doesn't matter, that you can just do whatever you want. 
and you will have lost all vision for the future, all vision for your life, and you'll have this fatalistic attitude that just whatever happens will happen. And the church is not a place where that should take place. We should not live with just the laissez-faire, come-see, come-saw type attitude. We have been empowered, and we know the God who gave us the choice, so we should be using our choices to the fullest. There are a lot of God's children and people who claim to be God's children who choose to live their daily lives with no vision or no picture of the long game. They make choices on the here and now, how they feel right now, and don't fe- they don't consider what God's way and direction actually is. And they sell out their power to make a godly choice and a wise choice for what is rather convenient and comfortable in the moment. If you are a Christian who is making convenient and comfortable choices, I would invite you, as I invite myself to do, to lay your heart bare to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because I will guarantee you, as he's done for me, he will do to you, and he will show you where you are making choices that are contrary to his way. You see, we start to uh, make decisions on what our friends are doing. How much money do I have? How hard am I actually willing to work? Or, I can't stop working, or people will think I'm lazy. We start making entertainment choices and rest choices based on, I just need to chill out, but we set Jesus aside because we're not really interested in resting in him. We just want some rest. And then we wonder, after choosing not to examine how God's counsel and ways would affect our life, we wonder why we aren't experiencing a more blessed life. We wonder why when we uh, get into the gossip and the fear and the anxiety and we nurture that and we breathe life into that, we get its fruit. We wonder why um, if we uh, pursue alcohol to the point of drunkenness, that we get that kind of fruit. Or if we're lazy and we don't step out of our comfort zone, why we don't get diligent fruit. If we start to chase TMZ instead of the B-I-B-L-E, we start to get Hollywood in our head instead of the scripture. That might be my best line all day. They're laughing. You guys don't get it. But. We can make choices contrary to scripture based on what we fill our head with the most. And if we fill our heads with the other part of the world rather than God's world the most, then we start to claim sayings like God won't give me more than I can handle as biblical truth. If you actually believe, as I have at times, that the phrase God won't give you more than you can handle, I I want you to know that that's a lie. And it's one of the most significant lies that the, that the devil sends to Christ's followers. The devil is fighting you with far more than you can ever handle on your own. His desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. So it's not like a friendly game of football. I don't even know who won the Riders and the Lions last night. Don't tell me. Oh, okay, you can tell me now. I, I was afraid I'd be depressed for the rest of the message. It's not like a friendly game of football where there's rules on both sides and God is the perfect referee and he makes the devil do something and he makes us do something and we all play fair. But the devil is fighting you with more than you can handle. And God wants us to grow and mature and to see 
his fruit in our life, so he actually lets things come at us. What he does promise is not that only what you can handle will come at you. He promises, according to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, that he will make a way of escape, that you are able to bear it. That is what you're able to handle. And so if you are entertaining the junk of the world, or you think that everything's coming at you, is just, well, it's, God won't give me more than I can handle, or there's more than I can handle, so I guess I just got to give in to the temptation. You are laying yourself out to the lies of the enemy, rather than following what the scripture holds for you, in that there is a way out. Sometimes it's a run, sometimes it's a phone call, sometimes it's a, it's a no, whatever it would be, that we have to walk away. And so today, we are looking at Psalm chapter 1. And the Psalms are such an amazing scripture to study. There's a discussion about why this particular Psalm is the first Psalm in the book of the 150 Psalms. But basically, basically it so distinctly and succinctly describes wisdom as aligning with God and what God will do for those who who are righteous in him versus those that choose not to be in relationship with him that it kind of sets the tone for the remaining remaining psalm so psalm chapter one in the niv says this blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the lord and who meditates on his law day and night That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. I'm a farm boy. Some of you are city slickers. The chaff is the little fine papery stuff that goes around the kernel, the seed, and it it literally is like confetti that when uh, they used to not have the machinery to do it and they beat the, the wheat in order to get the seed apart from the chaff, then they would throw it all up in the air and the wind would come and that chaff would blow away just like confetti. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Also encourage you to read it in other versions because the, the language can fill out so nicely. We're going to refer to the Passion Translation a couple times, but uh, it's a short chapter, and when you read and, and reflect on what was talked about today, I encourage you to, online or whatever, use it in a different translation. One short little aside about that type of scripture and, and ones like it is that when we read it, it is imperative for us to read it with both a here and now kind of lens, that we look at it for the moment, but we're also looking at those words into the future, and that it's got a long-term, long-game view. Because if we just read this, that, okay, here comes Pastor Dallas, he's going to lay it on us with six verses about the blessed life and what happens to the wicked, it means, what, what do you mean I'm blessed? I just had the most horrible week of my life. What do you mean I'm going to be in health and prosper? I feel sick today. What do you mean the wicked will be blown away like chaff? My neighbor, my boss, my friend, my enemy, they're getting away with everything. There's no consequence for the, the evil that they're doing. And so if we, if we look at all scripture just in the present day and now in our current situation, we have a tendency to go skewed or get discouraged. But it's both here and now and then and there. And God is working in our lives to get us then and there when all of this scripture comes to a full fulfillment in eternity. Amen? 
I came across the verse in Ephesians a couple months month ago. I, I didn't look up the reference, but it says we're supposed to be good at faith and patience. We like talking about faith and claiming and declaring and looking for it now, but Ephesians uses faith and patience, and that is a discipleship character kind of building thing where we exercise faith, but we trust the timing to God and we grow in patience. So there's a lot of good stuff in Psalm chapter 1. I'm just, I'm going to highlight three what's. Everybody say three what's. Everybody say what up. That one was just for fun. I wanted to hear what it sounded like. And <laughs> you're from the 80s too. <laughs> Number one, what camp will you choose? Everybody say what camp will you choose? Verse 6 says, For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. The Passion Translation says this, But how different it is for the righteous. The Lord embraces their paths as they move forward, while the way of the wicked leads only to doom. The Lord embraces the paths of the righteous. I've highlighted over the past couple weeks the privilege of getting to respond to the invitation God has given us through Jesus Christ, his son, that we can give him our sins, we can ask for forgiveness, we can become his child, and we can live for him forever here on earth and the life to come. And the reality, again, is that by the end of our lives, we will find ourselves permanently in either one of two camps. Using the camp season lingo. Camp heaven or camp hell. The Bible says there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. In this life, God is pursuing all of us with his love to make the choice to be his children and to follow his ways. You can start to feel a little bit nervous as a preacher when you start talking about the righteous and the wicked and and are you making an us and them or, or are you just talking bad about people that haven't accepted God yet? No, the truth is we're all wicked. That we're born in our sin and iniquity and trespasses. And that every person needs to come to their own place to trade their wickedness in for the life and righteousness of God. And there is no good and wicked. There is no category of people who are good enough to get past their wickedness so now they have a relationship with God. The only path to relationship with God is to do a trade-up. Trade in your wickedness and your sin for God's forgiveness and his righteousness, and all of a sudden you're in his camp, and you live it out for the days to come here on earth, and then forever in heaven. And we're all on this journey, and we need to intentionally decide whether to receive his gift of salvation or reject it and choose the other camp by way of default. There comes a certainty at the time of death that we are either in his camp or we are not his camp. And the time for figuring it out and aligning yourself with his camp is here while we have breath. The highlight of this psalm is that for those who choose his way and choose to follow his counsel, they are blessed and he watches over. They become the delighted, the joyous, the happy. But those benefits are reserved forever for those who call God Father. So if you want to go to shift camp on Monday, besides all the plan to protect stuff, you just need to be here by 1 o'clock on Monday to get on the bus to get to camp. 
And so the timeline in your life is that by the time you breathe your last, you better have picked up your free ticket to be on God's bus in order to take you to heaven one day. And you get that ticket for free when you trade over your junk, but then you spend the rest of your life dying to yourself and your old ways and sinful ways and experiencing his life to transform you and move you to become more like him. So the first what is what camp will you choose? And I encourage you to cry out to Jesus if you have not joined his camp yet and just ask him to forgive you and pledge to follow him. The second is what company will you choose? Verse 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. We're not supposed to step with the wicked, stand with the sinners, or sit with the mockers. This verse gives a very good picture, I believe, of our life. And it accentuates to us that while we live in this world, we're not to be part of it. And while we love people who do not know yet who know not yet God, and we want to be compassionate, and we want to show them God's love, and we want to intersect our lives with them, this picture of sitting, standing, and stepping is actually kind of a cohesive, poetic-type picture of your whole life, of where are you going to set your whole energies, your whole emphasis, your whole intents, your whole motives, where are they going to rest with? Are they going to sit with the counsel of the ungodly? Or are you going to take your heart and set it in the counsel of the godly? It is not a verse that says, don't ever have anything to do with people who don't know God. But it's rather to say, make sure your attitudes and your heart is aligning with the things of God and not being swayed by the things of the world. We must watch our motives, intentions, and leanings. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Is baby enjoying the message? Yeah. Gabby's baby's jumping all over the place. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry got to behave myself these things are starting to be recorded and i we don't want to edit out every piece i got to stop being so reactive bad company corrupts good character if you think you can live your life by putting all your ideologies and all your thoughts on the table with everybody else who doesn't believe god is god or the scripture is truth and that it won't be twisted or you won't come out confused you are mistaken that we have to constantly be surrendering those to the, to the, the likeness of Christ and the, and the strength of his word. There was a testimony given in this church about 15 years ago. The young lady had been Miss Saskatchewan Rough Rider. I believe she was Miss Teen Canada. And she said when she was 15 years old, her and her friends were Christians and they were the Slurpee girls. They would go to all the high school parties. They would stop by 7-Eleven, get their Slurpees, and then show up at the party, and it was a cute little thing. Everybody, was this, everybody knew them as the Slurpee girls. But as the testimony carried on, and the bad company began to corrupt the good manners, they, they did not stay the Slurpee girls, and they went down a path that was not healthy for them and took a while to come out of. Choose the company of Christ. Don't just choose, choose Jesus forever, so that you can be with him in heaven. Choose him for today, 
Choose him that you can enjoy him today and not sell yourself out for whatever is being offered. Finally, what counsel will you choose? What camp will you choose? What company will you choose? And what counsel will you choose? Number two, uh, verse two says, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. When we start using the phrase law of the Lord and law, you can start to think in terms of the certain sections of the Old Testament. You can talk about the Ten Commandments. If that's, the, that's the law of God. You can start thinking about the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and those, that's all correct. But those, as, as people, New Testament Christians and living after Jesus has, has done all that he has done for us, we now... We now live under the whole counsel of God, and Jesus came for us not to make us follow the, I think the term is tittle of the law, or the the little bits of the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And the law is fulfilled by love, and that's why Jesus, when he was asked, what's the greatest law? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So if we would follow that one phrase, we are basically fulfilling all the other laws. Like when your bull goes and kills my bull, you have to pay back my bull. We don't, we don't have that per se. Because now God's people are supposed to be fill, uh, filled with his love and doing what is loving towards each other without having it all spelled out little bit by little bit. Can you imagine the number of books to take care of every situation? That's why the laws keep growing. Day, day, there's just never enough law if love doesn't fulfill it all. If we live according to God's law of love and follow his ways, we're actually going to consider his whole counsel. And it goes on in verse 3, I believe, to give us the picture of a tree. This strong and mighty tree by a riverbank that bears fruit in its season. It has healthy leaves. It prospers in all it's do- it all its It prospers in all it does. I'm really excited about this point. I can barely get it out. Now, prosper or prospers or prosperity is a really dangerous word to uh, say in today's day and age because it can link you with a certain maybe style of theology or a group of preachers that get a, a rap that it's all about the money. Show me the money. But you got to remember that this word was used over 2,000 years ago. Prosperous doesn't talk about all your current comforts and creature habits in our own day and age. Prosperous just wasn't about a size of a bank account. Prosperous was a whole life statement. It was about relationships. It was about work. It was about rest. It was about health. It was about provision and finances. And so when you surrender your life to the whole counsel of God and you live according to his ways, his word to you is that he's going to prosper you. But not in the very narrow, divisive kind of sense of, Where's the yacht on your fridge? God's going to give you that yacht. You know, I just heard this this last week. You know what happens to a yacht on the prairies, right? It becomes a mu- museum south of Moose Jaw. There's a, there's a ship down there. You don't want a yacht in the prairies. You want what God wants for you. You want your whole life to prosper. I have attempted this morning to paint a picture of the power of your choice in your lives with your relationship. First of all, you're going to be a part of God's camp. Secondly, who's going to be your company? And thirdly, what counsel will you listen to to make your decisions on on a daily basis? 
Not just on Sunday, not just when you need to buy a house, not just when you're changing cars, but when you're deciding on whether you're going to yell at your kid about them putting the plates in the dishwasher or not. Whether you're going to call your parents, whether you're going to look the other way when your neighbor comes out because they parked on your driveway, or you're going to engage them and forgive them one more time. I'm talking about daily surrendering to the counsel of God, and when you have opportunity to gossip, that you speak truth instead, or whatever your particular favorite sin is. So now, how do you paint this picture, the right picture in your own life? I'm going to end with two what-ifs. Number one, what if I've already made a ton of bad choices? What do I do then? What if I'm living out some of the choices other people have made for me, and what if I'm living out consequences of choices I've already made, some of which I might have made before I was even a Christian, and they still follow me? I would like you to know that you are in pretty good company with some people who've made some pretty bad decisions, this pastor being one of them, and that this is a safe place to get it on track with Jesus where you need support, love, and help. And let me just say that that is the most complicated statement I've said all morning, is how to support people when we're sorting out and pulling out the twisted yarn of the knotted up ball of, I I don't know, you need a place to live, I I don't really have a bed, I can't bring everybody home with me, I can't feed everybody, I can't tell everybody's spouse, kids, uncle to behave properly. How do you walk alongside people as they begin to experience the freedom of Jesus as he untwirls their life? But let me say this, that our God is a redeeming God, and what you definitely can't see in the mess of your choices and the consequences of them, he sees plan A all over again. It's like a GPS redirecting, redirecting, redirecting. If you will surrender your life's path to him, all I can guarantee you is that over time, by faith and patience, you will be living a life that you don't even dream possible right now because he will give you courage for it. He is a redeeming God. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. So we blame Jesus for him bringing us to himself. Who has become for us wisdom from God. So when you follow Jesus, you are now engaged in wisdom practices, wise practices from God. And God is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. If you place your life into the hands of God through Jesus Christ, he becomes your redemption and he redirects and plans your life for the next stage and season. It takes confession. What if you've made bad choices? This is the action point, confession. Admit and ask forgiveness. Whether you've never asked Christ before or whether you've asked him before but never dealt with this or you've done it again, when you get to the point that you realize you've made a bad, wrong, or sinful choice, ask for forgiveness. And then the number two what if is, what if I want to start making different choices? What if I want to do it differently now? Well, number, the part of that is we repent. Is that now we're sorry, say my sin is in this direction, and I recognize I made a bad choice and I'm going in this direction, and I confess it, I admit I'm going in a wrong direction, but I can just keep confessing and confessing and confessing and keep going and going and going and But when I repent, I say, I'm sorry, I want to do it differently. And we turn and we go in a different direction. And the repentance is the going in a different direction. And this is, have I said this is the most important part I've said all day yet? 
a couple times, right? So as long as you get these three points, no, whatever. In order to break patterns and habits and sin in your life and to go in the different direction, you must not just get comfortable with repenting of the pain and hurt. Everybody wants the pain to stop. And often when the pain gets the greatest, that's when we recognize we want to repent and confess and we want to go differently. The part that you have to repent of and I have to repent of is the part that feels good. You see, gossip feels good when it comes off the lips. Sexual sins comes, are, are fun for the first few moments. Keeping your money to yourself without being generous and stealing from God, you actually think you got some extra in your pocket for a while. But until you're a, a willing to say that that stuff that feels good is also part of the sin, you will always be drugged back there. Because you always enjoy that part, that part always tastes good, and that part will always drag you back. It doesn't take much bait on a hook to land, apparently, I've never got one, a big fish. <laughs> I've just been the sucker. That's funnier, thanks, Joe. I appreciate that. It doesn't take much bait to, keep, to get hooked, and it doesn't take much pleasure in your sin to keep you doing it all over again. And that's the part we have to repent of. Are we ready to turn from the stuff that feels good in the sin rather than just turn when the pain is too great for us to continue on? Once you are willing to get to that point and you commit to choosing God's way in both the stuff that feels good and doesn't feel good, you will be moving from just, I believe in Jesus, please forgive me, to I trust in him and I know I got to live differently. You move from just believing to trust him.